Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're going to learn about the man who many say is the inspiration for one of pop culture's most popular monsters, Vlad III, more commonly known as Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Dracula. Now, unfortunately for all of you who are hoping to hear stories about Vlad impaling millions of people because he was the devil or something to that extent, I'm going to try to stick to the facts as much as I possibly can. A lot of stories revolving around Vlad the Impaler were just propaganda created by German and Slavic officials in order to fuel fear against the Romanian ruler. Also, I should warn any of the more squeamish listeners that, though I'm going to try to avoid myths of Dracula, this episode will still be pretty brutal. So if torture and assault are topics you wish to avoid, I'd suggest sitting this one out. So, without further ado, let us begin our history lesson as we go back to 15th century Wallachia and Dragon Vlad gets to the point. First up in our history lecture is the region Vlad ruled, Wallachia, also pronounced Wallachia or Valachia, though I'll be using the first pronunciation for this episode, sorry for anyone who wants it the other way. Wallachia incorporates much of what is modern-day southern Romania. It was located just south of the region I'm sure many of you are familiar with, Transylvania. Wallachia was more or less always ruled by someone else for hundreds and hundreds of years, stretching all the way back to when it would have been a territory dependent on ancient Greece. After Greece came the Romans, then the Goths, the historical Germanic group, not the people wearing black, then the Huns, then Rome again, this time via Constantinople, and finally the Kingdom of Hungary. I too would want my independence if I kept being taken over by different groups of people who just wanted me for my access to the Black Sea. But Wallachia finally secured its true independence and official principality status when Hungary was invaded by the Mongols who weakened their power. And trust me, the fact that people have always been trying to take over Wallachia will play a large part in Vlad's story because he'll have to deal with the latest people who are attempting to take over his homeland, the Ottomans. The Ottoman Empire is one of the longest lasting empires in history, at least after they managed to take hold of Constantinople in 1453 and officially end the Roman Empire. They would be a consistent party in history up until 1922. You may remember them from the cameo they had in the previous episode, where False Dimitri I was planning on stopping their expansion. The Ottomans got started out in central Turkey, but their power quickly grew until they ruled over most of the Middle East, Southeast Europe, and bits of Northern Africa. They were a predominantly Muslim nation, which was a stark contrast to the very Christian Europe located right next door. Hopefully one day I'll do an episode on an Ottoman ruler so we don't have to keep playing them as the opponent of our story's protagonist. The two main figures from the Ottoman Empire who will play in this story are Sultans Murad II and his son Mehmed II, the first ruler of the Ottoman Empire post-capture of Constantinople. After taking Constantinople, 
he sets his sights westward towards Southeast Europe, and one nation happened to be just right there for the taking, Wallachia. And it's because of Mehmed's conquest of that territory that the sadistic Prince Vlad truly becomes the monster we know today. Before we get to Ottoman conquest, our story is going to begin not with Vlad the Impaler or Mehmed, but with Vlad's father, Vlad II, who I'll just keep referring to as Vlad II to avoid any confusion. Vlad II was voivode of Wallachia, which is a position also referred to as prince, but is more or less the nation's king. Uh, He ruled from 1436 to 1442, and then again from 1443 to 1447 you'll see a lot of people having multiple rules throughout this story. Vlad II was sent as a hostage to King Sigismund of Hungary when he was still a baby due to the severe political climate of Wallachia at the time. Also, this Sigismund is not the same Sigismund from last episode. After a tumultuous youth in the Holy Roman Empire, different from both the ancient Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire out of Constantinople, Vlad II was inducted into King Sigismund's cool new club, the Order of the Dragon, aka the Let's Stop the Ottomans Club. As part of this new order, Vlad II was given the nickname Dracul, which is a Romanian word meaning dragon. As a bonus to the cool name, Sigismund proclaimed Vlad II the true prince of Wallachia. However, Vlad II could not take the throne right away because there was kind of someone already sitting on it, so he did the next best thing. He settled down in Transylvania, got married, and had some kids. And lucky for those kids, they got to inherit dear old dad's nickname. Any son of Vlad II Dracul would henceforth be known as Dracula. But Vlad II forgot something very important when he finally took the throne after the death of the previous voivode a deal with the Ottomans. When Sigismund died in 1437, Hungary lost power, and the Ottomans moved in. With nowhere else to turn, Vlad II decided it was in his best interest to get along with the new neighbors by swearing fealty to then-Sultan Murad II. Now we can finally shift gears into the story of Vlad III, and if we are going to begin at the beginning of things, let's start off with an interesting bit of trivia. We don't know Vlad's birthday. Most historians place him being born between 1428 and 1431. The first known reference to Vlad was in a letter his father wrote in 1432 mentioning Vlad and his older brother Mercia. This is actually just how it was for all of Vlad II's children that I'll be mentioning this episode. Guess when you're busy with power struggles all around you, there's no time to announce the birth of your sons. Mercia was also born sometime around 1428, and their younger brother Radu was born between 1437 and 1439. As I mentioned before, Vlad's father became voivode of Wallachia, though this was not until 1436, mostly due to support from the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Murad II. 
things were going fine for a little while until in 1442, the Sultan decided he would set his eyes on Transylvania. Vlad II made the mistake, at least in Murad's eyes, of not 100% supporting the Ottoman takeover of the territory right next door. Sultan Murad ordered Vlad's father to come to Gallipoli, a part of Turkey located west of Istanbul on the small bit of the nation in Europe. Accompanying Vlad II were Vlad and Radu. Vlad's father was forced to show fealty to the Sultan for disrespecting him the previous year. Two things happened then. First, Vlad II was imprisoned in Gallipoli, though he would later be released after several months after serving his time. Second, Vlad and Radu were taken away to the Sultan's court as collateral. What better way to ensure the loyalty of the father than taking his sons? Under normal circumstances, Vlad and Radu's situation would not have been completely terrible. Though it's not entirely the same as this situation, nobles used to send their children off to other, usually higher-ranking, nobility as foster children so they could receive a better education and station of living. And most likely, Vlad and Radu would have been well-educated within the Sultan's palace. Unfortunately, things were not entirely peaceful for the sons of Vlad II. It is well documented that Vlad hated the Ottomans, and it is here where that hatred is birthed. Within the halls of the Sultan's palace, Vlad was, at least for some time, tortured. It is also theorized that, at different times, both Vlad and Radu may have been used by the Sultan as potential sexual partners. Finally, it is probably during this time that Vlad saw a particular form of torture and death that would make him famous, or infamous, impalement. In 1448, Vlad was finally allowed to return home to Wallachia. However, many things had changed during this time. His father and older brother had been killed by boyars. Remember them from the last episode? Well, they existed in Wallachia as well. With the voivode ship left empty, it was time to choose a successor to Vlad Dracul's reign. With Mercia also dead, one would think the obvious choice would be Vlad. Unfortunately, Vlad's life was full of difficulties and nothing is ever that easy. John Hunyadi, the governor of Hungary and former ally of Vlad II, decided to place Vladislav II, sorry about all the Vlads this episode, on the throne in place of Vlad. In case all the Vlads mixed you up, Vlad Dracul died, Vladislav became voivode, Vlad III the guy we are following this episode, thought he was going to become Voivode, but obviously did not. Luckily for Vlad, Hungary decided to wage war against the Ottomans again. Because Vladislav was much more on Hungary's side, they did give him the throne after all, he left Wallachia to join in the fighting. During this time, Vlad kinda just went in and took the throne in October of 1448. So now, 
he's obviously going to become the great and powerful ruler of Wallachia we all know and love. That is, until the fighting ended a month later, Vladislav returned and Vlad ran away. From here, Vlad returns to the Ottoman Empire and then makes a tour of several nations in the Balkans while in exile. Vlad's life becomes a little bit of an enigma over the next few years, but we know he eventually ended up in the town of Brasov around 1451 or 1452. Once again, things get fuzzy, but a few years later, Vlad is now serving within the court of John Hunyadi, the very man who stopped him from becoming voivode in the first place. And he was made a commander in his army with the goal of defending the Transylvanian borders. In 1456, Hunyadi once again waged war against the Ottomans, this time against Murad II's son, Sultan Mehmed II. There was a lot going on with this war because at some point Vladislav II ended up siding with the Ottomans against Hungary. Hunyadi is eventually killed during the war, and now his own man who can take on anyone he wants, Vlad finally returns to Wallachia. He uses his command in the Hungarian army to capture Wallachia, depose Vladislav, and crown himself as voivode of Wallachia for good this time. But first, Vlad needed to show the nobility of Wallachia who they were dealing with. In an infamous occasion, Vlad invited a group of boyars numbering in the hundreds to a banquet celebrating his victory. Because Wallachia was a constant battleground of betrayal of political strife, Vlad knew any one of these boyars could seek to dethrone him. So doing exactly what you would think, Vlad has the entire party murdered. But killing was not enough. That wasn't a strong enough message. Even with some of the bodies still twitching, Vlad had the boyars impaled and set out for all to see. We'll fast forward several years into Vlad's time as voivode of Wallachia. He had solidified himself as a brutal leader, truly earning the name Vlad Tepesh, Romanian for Vlad the Impaler. Stories of him killing nobility from within his own borders and representatives from other nations may have given Vlad a cool nickname, but it also made him many enemies. And above all, Vlad showed he was never one to let someone else control him. Maybe it was this headstrong behavior, maybe it was his past as a reluctant slave, but at some point, Vlad stopped paying his dues to Sultan Mehmed, which was an expected task for the voivode of Wallachia. In 1461, Mehmed also learned via his spies that Vlad was cozying up to Matthias Corvinus, king of Hungary. In an attempt to make Vlad pay, Mehmed sent a messenger to the voivode telling him to come to Constantinople. The plan was to kidnap Vlad once he had crossed the Danube River. However, Vlad found out about the deceit and had both the messenger and the noble who was to kidnap him executed. Vlad quickly set his sights on revenge and led an army to the Turkish fortress in the town of Jeju. 
might be pronouncing that right, might not be, sorry. He was able to enter the fortress simply by asking them to open their doors while speaking fluent Turkish, something he had been taught while under the rule of the Sultan. Once his army captured Jeju, Vlad quickly went to work devastating the empire's towns along the Danube. In a letter to King Matthias in February of 1462, Vlad wrote that his army had killed almost 24,000 Turks and Bulgarians during this military campaign. In gaining favor with Matthias, Vlad wrote that he was fighting for the glory of Hungary and preserving the Christian faith against the tides of Islam. Go figure. Eventually, Mehmed learned of Vlad's trail of destruction. He sent out an army of over 150,000 soldiers to take on Vlad's forces. Was this overkill? Yes, which is why some people theorize that Mehmed was planning on moving through to Wallachia after defeating its prince. However, there was also the lingering situation with Radu, who, if you don't remember, was Vlad's younger brother. Radu was always known to be a favorite of Mehmed, some people even going so far as to say they were lovers. While we can't say whether or not this was true, we do know that Mehmed would have much rather had Radu as Voivode than Vlad. In June of 1462, the two forces came to a head, and Vlad was forced to retreat due to the overwhelming Ottoman force. However, Vlad was not completely deterred, and on the night of the 16th, he infiltrated the Ottomans' army in Terkovishta, hoping to get Mehmed. Unfortunately, the Sultan was not in the Ottoman camp. Doing what Vlad did best, his people slaughtered the Ottoman army. Later, Mehmed would actually arrive at the camp. His army found the town around the camp deserted of the living. All that was left was, according to one Greek historian among Mehmed's forces, a forest of the impaled. They said almost 20,000 people, men, women, and children were all left impaled in the town of Tergovishta. Vlad the Impaler had struck again. Vlad would continue his campaign against Sultan Mehmed for the rest of his life. His campaign would also put him at odds with Radu, who did in fact take the throne of Voivode from Vlad in August of 1462. So, what happened to Vlad? Well, he went back to Matthias of Hungary, hoping to get more men to fight Mehmed's forces. Matthias, however, did not want to fight the Ottomans. Knowing that Vlad would never stop, the king of Hungary had Vlad imprisoned. Vlad remained in prison for almost 14 years until Stephen III of Moldavia urged the Hungarians to release Vlad in order to take back Wallachia. According to Stephen, he wanted Vlad because Vlad hated the Ottomans and Wallachia had more or less become a pawn of the Turks. So in 1475, Vlad went to war once more against both his homeland and the Ottomans. After a year of fighting, in late November of 1476, Vlad once again took the throne of Wallachia for the third and final time. His rule was brief though. In late December or early January of the following year, 
Vlad was killed while fighting the Ottomans. It's said that his body was cut apart and his head was delivered to the court of Mehmed II. Now here's the question many of you have probably been wondering since the beginning of this episode. Was Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Dracula, the inspiration for the vampire of the same name? Well, since I'm bringing it up, hopefully you can realize that it's not an obvious answer. It's a bit of yes, but technically no. But Chris, you're probably saying, the guy's name is Dracula. You mentioned Transylvania in this episode. How can he not be the inspiration for the character? That name and Romania are about it. Actually, Bram Stoker, the author of Dracula, is on record as saying that he chose the name Dracula because he thought it was Romanian for the devil. In case you forgot from the beginning, Dracula doesn't mean devil. It means, more or less, son of the dragon. Romania was chosen because Stoker had heard stories about vampires in Romanian folklore and decided to run with that. Think of it like this. I could write a story about a guy from the United States and give him the last name Washington, and obviously, most people would think I was inspired by George Washington. Might do an episode on him, but I'll have to find a good story. But then, you'd be shocked when you hear me say, oh yeah, the name Washington was chosen because it has to do with peanuts and Americans love peanuts. Or something to that degree. Also, that was a George Washington Carver reference for anyone wondering. But I digress. That's not to say that Vlad and Dracula have not become intertwined over the years since the comparison was first made. In case you missed it, the 2014 movie Dracula Untold actually combines the stories by making Vlad become a vampire in order to take on the forces of the Ottomans. It's not a great movie, but that certainly is an interesting twist on the legend. By the way, as you should obviously know by now, Vlad the Impaler was not a vampire. I couldn't find any references to him drinking blood or being nocturnal or standard vampire stuff. He was just a man who used the acts of cruelty he had learned from his enemies against those very same people. And that's it for the story of Vlad III, Vlad Dracula, Vlad the Impaler. Call him what you want, a vile man who went too far, a man who did whatever he could to protect his homeland. He's known by both, depending on who you ask. Many people in Romania today still consider him a national hero who stopped the long-reaching arms of the Ottomans from completely taking over their country. And again, I would very much like to one day cover an Ottoman ruler. Their empire has much more to offer history than just being the enemy of European Christianity. Unfortunately, we just happened to be covering the one guy who maybe hated them more than anyone else. And yes, Vlad did much more than just fight the Ottomans, though he did spend many years doing that. But I want this episode's story to focus mostly on Vlad going from more or less a glorified slave 
to someone who fought back against the people who took his youth from him. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Next time, we're finally leaving the world of men ruling Europe. We're crossing the Atlantic to explore one of the most famous Native American chiefs in the history of the United States, Sitting Bull. Until then, I hope you'll join me for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. (laughs) 